I want to welcome you. It's good uh, to have you tuning in this week. I'm Dan. I'm one of the pastors here at Grace Church, the Norton campus, and love the fact you're joining us and love hearing from many of you. Uh, love the fact we can come into your living room, car, wherever it is you're watching us, and hopefully it's just kind of let others know about it. Uh, love, if you ever get a chance to come and see us, we'd love to meet you if we've never met you. Uh, this Wednesday night, we have a worship night here and uh, going to have some baptisms. And so if you've never been here, I'd love for you to come and join us. We just worship together. Uh, we're in this series and it's in Galatians chapter five. If you have a Bible, you might want to turn there. Uh, the passage we've been looking at together simply is called Fruit of the Spirit passage, but the fruit of the Spirit is love joy, peace, forbearance, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. So since we live by the Spirit, that's what we're talking about, let us then keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. I'd love to take a minute before we dive into this, kind of the next section of this, to just pray with you. I don't know all of your stories, where you're at, but God, I'm praying for those that might be watching this, calm hearts that are anxious. God, I pray that the seed truth of your word would land on good soil. I pray the person that's listening to this, that you'd meet them right where they're at. Spirit of God, use your word. And I just want to be an ambassador, a vessel that you'd use. And God, I pray that you'd speak truth that would be transformative into the lives of those who are listening. Thank you for the awesome privilege to lean in and hear what you have to say to us in your word. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This series we're in is about the visible fruit of a life that abides with Jesus or walks in the Spirit, right? What does it mean to keep in step with the Spirit? Well, we said it means to abide with Jesus and there's visible fruit. And this visible fruit is the evidence of the inner transformation that happens as we abide, remain, as we walk in the Spirit. Abiding with Jesus produces uh, love, joy, peace, patience, the things we just read. It's more of Jesus, less of me. Today, for the sake of our time together, uh, the assignment that I've been given is goodness. We get to goodness. And I got to be honest with you, when I was given this assignment of goodness, my first thought maybe is what your thought is, and maybe you're getting ready to tune out. I don't know. Hang on. My first thought was the same as yours. It's like, it's kind of a boring topic, isn't it? It's kind of blah, rather vanilla. I mean, goodness. I mean, what do we even mean by goodness? We say how to, how, we say to each other, how are you doing? The most common answer is what? Good. Even if we're not good, right? Um, what do we even mean? Uh, we say things, phrases like, oh my goodness, right? Uh, the other day I was at Pastor Bob's, and some of you know Pastor Bob. He was a pastor here. This year he'll have 50 years uh, serving here at our church. But he's been having some physical struggles. Went to his home to visit him. His wife uh, took me to a part of their home to show me uh, some things in their home. And I said, he was in a completely different room. I said, oh my goodness. I didn't think he heard me. I thought he already went back to sleep. And he yelled from the other room. He says, Dan, your goodness has nothing to do with it. I'm like, well, thank you, Bob. That's what I'm preaching on this week, right? Uh, we, we, uh, goodness is something that isn't glamorized in our culture. You ever think about that? Like there's a lot of songs about being bad. Uh, how, how about this? Some of you are old enough to remember this. 1982, Bad to the Bone. You remember that song? 
Sing a little bit, right? Bad to the bone, and then bad to the bone, right? Or how about 1987? Michael Jackson. I'd do a little moonwalk for you, but uh, I'm bad. I'm bad, right? You know it. I'm bad. And, and besides that, good uh, usually doesn't get a good rapping song. Remember Billy Joel? Uh, the year is 1977. Only the good die. I heard you young. <laughs> it's like good isn't something that gets glamorized. How about this? You ever heard this phrase? Good guys finish. I heard you last. And you ever heard this? Nobody wants to be a goody two shoes. Yeah. The idea is it's not glamorized in our culture. Now, here's the deal. This is interesting to me. Most people, I, I, I did a little research on this. Most people, and probably you're in this boat, think they're good. And most people think most people are good. And yet nobody would say that our culture and our society is becoming gooder. <laughs> Think about that. Most people think they're inherently good. Most people think most people are inherently good. And yet most people don't think our culture and society as a whole is getting gooder. Something's wrong. And then you add to that the dilemma of what the Bible says. Some of you are familiar with the Bible and you know that it says this, the only one who's good is God. And then in Romans 3 it says there is no one other than God, who's good? No, not one. And so all of a sudden you realize into this cauldron of goodness, Paul says the fruit of a life that is abiding with Jesus, keeping in step with the Spirit, produces the fruit of the Spirit. And part of that fruit is goodness, is goodness. So we got to answer some questions. Here's where we're going today. What is goodness? What is goodness? And then the second question, how in the world does this goodness get produced in my life? Third question is why in the world is it so vital for us to produce the fruit of goodness? Let's start here. What in the world is goodness? What is meant by that? Now, here's why we got to start here, because we have reduced the idea of goodness to being a nice person who doesn't do bad things. When we think of good, that's what we think of. We avoid bad things. So it sounds rather passive. Think about it. Uh, when my mom and dad would go and leave me at home when I was younger, uh, one of the things I hated doing was going to the mall. And if they were going to the mall, uh, they would ask me if I'd want to go. And I'd like, do I have to? There was a certain age I had to. And then when I got to the point where I could stay home, like, you can stay home. I just want you to be good. And then when they would come home and they would ask me the question, were you good? Yes, I was good. Uh, I, I, I didn't spit in my sister's eye, <laughs> right? I didn't kick the dog. I didn't set the house on fire. I was good. What was I saying? Um, that I was basically not bad. I avoided doing some bad things. I was good. And sometimes we reduce being good and goodness to just avoid bad. Uh, one author said it rather interestingly. He says, Philip Kennison's his name, we find it increasingly difficult to discuss what used to be called the common good. In its place, we've substituted the notion that individuals should be free to determine what's good and right. That's where we're at in any particular situation. Although there are some legal boundaries that would restrain us from doing what we agree is wrong to do, there is little that helps us know what is right or good to do. As a result, look at this, the good and the right are increasingly being reduced to what is legal. 
In short, if one has not broken any laws, one is good or a moral person. Like we've reduced this idea of good to just avoid being bad. We've made goodness simply absence of badness. I was good. And we've got to ask the question, is that really what it means? And I want to take you to an ancient voice. To a book in your first part of your Bible, the Old Testament, the book of Micah. Micah was a preacher or a prophet in the southern kingdom of Israel, and there was a lot of injustice, and the, the, the fabric of their society had begun to untangle. And this prophet, this preacher, was speaking into it, letting them know many ways they had turned their back on God. They weren't reflecting the character of God in their culture. And as this preacher, Micah, is preaching, he's saying about the judgment that's coming, and he's balancing it with the hope of this covenant God who loves his people. You get to chapter 6, and one of the most popular verses in the book of Micah that maybe you've heard is found in Micah 6, and it says this, He has shown you, O human beings, O mortals, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? And here it is, three things he says, to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. When the Bible talks about goodness, it's talking about much more than just the absence of doing bad things. The fruit of goodness is much more nuanced. What does it mean then to be good? Well, let's dig into this passage a little bit. He says the first thing it means is to act justly. To act justly. If you're taking notes, I would write it this way, that the fruit of goodness kind of results in acting justly. Goodness is more than avoiding badness. It is acting proactively justly in our world. So what does that mean? Well, in his book, Tim Keller's book, Gener Generous Justice, he outlines that this Hebrew word, so this part of the Bible is written in Hebrew, the Hebrew word is mishfat. And it occurs more than 200 times in the Old Testament. And at its most basic level, its most basic meaning, it means to treat people equitably. He goes on to say this, it means acquitting or punishing every person on the merits of the case, regardless of race or social status, and then to give people their rights. Doing justice or acting justly includes not only, listen close, the righting of wrongs, but generosity and social concern, especially toward the poor and the vulnerable. Radically generous giving of time and resources that seeks to end particular forms of injustice, violence, and oppression. And in his book, he outlines what he calls the quartet of the vulnerable, as you read the Old Testament in particular. And the quartet of the vulnerable were simply the widows. Because when their husband died, there was no source of income. When it was the orphans who had no family, it was the immigrants, it was the poor. And maybe we could add some to that even in our particular day and age. The quartet of the vulnerable maybe has increased to become a choir. Acting justly is taking the initiative, taking the initiative on behalf of the vulnerable in our society to intervene in their situation on behalf of and to address the injustice that is taking place. Keller says this in his book, in general, do justice means to go places where the fabric of shalom has broken down 
and where weaker members of society are falling through the fabric. Justice seeks to reweave and strengthen the fabric by weaving ourselves into it. I love that. Acting justly is seeing the plight of the oppressed, seeing the plight of the marginalized, the overlooked, and stepping into their situation in an effort to provide relationship, in an effort to provide relief, in an effort to provide resources when that's appropriate, in an effort to provide remedies when that is possible. It is disadvantaging myself for the sake of the disadvantaged. Listen, listen, that's the very character of God. Psalm 103, the Lord works righteousness, say the word out loud, and what? Justice for who? The oppressed. Psalm 140, I know that the Lord will maintain the cause of the afflicted, the marginalized, the oppressed, and will execute justice for those that are in need for the vulnerable. The fruit of goodness, I want you to remember this, the fruit of goodness isn't just avoiding bad. I was a good boy today, I didn't hit my sister, I didn't kick the dog. But it is reflecting the very character of a God who injected himself in the fabric of our culture for the sake of the marginalized, the oppressed, and the vulnerable. Not only that, but it is the very character of God, but it is also personified in the person of Jesus, God in the flesh. When he came to earth, Jesus, what he did was he brought a taste of justice to those who were poor, to those who were marginalized, to the helpless and to the sick. So here's the deal. The fruit of goodness is displayed in our deep commitment to caring for the most vulnerable among us, the most marginalized among us. And when we do, we reflect the character of the God that we worship. We follow the example of the Jesus who is Lord of our life that we follow. But there's something even more. There's something even more. I think it's sobering. You can check me on this. In fact, you should. Matthew 25, when Jesus is relaying a story and he's talking about the end of time, he's saying when the Son of Man comes in his glory, and he uses this illustration that when he comes and all his angels with him, he's going to sit on a throne. And when he does, all the nations of the earth will gather before him. And he says this, Matthew 25, he's going to separate them the sheep on one side and the goats on the other. The king will say to those on his right, the sheep, he'll say, come, come you who are blessed by my father into your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you. Then he says this, this is sobering to me. He says, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. He says to them, I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, marginalized, and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Those on his right, the the, the righteous, will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you as a stranger and invite you in? We don't remember this. When did we see you needing clothes and clothes? We don't remember seeing you, Jesus. When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? Look what he says. 
Then the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did, say it with me, for one of the who, for one of the who, those who couldn't do anything for you, for those who maybe had nothing to give to you, for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. Wow. And he says to those on the left, just the opposite, depart from me. I was hungry, you gave me nothing. I was thirsty, you gave me nothing. I was a stranger, you didn't invite me in. I needed clothes, you didn't clothe me. I was sick and in prison, you didn't look after me. And they're like, Lord, we don't remember seeing you. Like, like, when did we see you hungry, thirsty? When did we see you in prison? When did we see you needing clothes? Look at his response. The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do it for me. Then you'll go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Wow. Hey, all of a sudden, this topic of goodness, is it, it's got some punch to it. Because not only do we reflect the character of God, the God that we worship, not only do we follow the example of God in the flesh, the person of Jesus, but if I'm reading this right, in Matthew 25, when we weave ourselves into the fabric of society for the least of these, the marginalized, the oppressed, the poor, the vulnerable, we, in a very real sense, are doing it not just for, but to Jesus. Wow. Goodness, all of a sudden, isn't such a vanilla topic, is it? Back to Micah, he says not only is the fruit of goodness acting justly, but he said it's to love mercy. If you're taking notes, I'd write it this way, that the fruit of goodness loves mercy. Now, you can look this up in Webster's Mercy. You probably have a good idea of what mercy is. Mercy is I don't get what I deserve. It's compassion, forgiveness shown towards someone whom it is within one's power to punish. It's forbearance. It's compassion and leniency. It's a blessing that is an act of divine favor, treatment of those who are in distress. That's mercy in Webster's. But what I want you to know is that this word, how they translate this, is the Hebrew word hased. Say that with me. That's kind of fun. Hased. If you didn't spit on your screen, you're not saying it right. I'm not uh, somebody who would say I'm proficient in that, but hased. And we've talked about this word. You can go back and look when we talked about God is. Um, we looked at this passage in Exodus 34. The Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger. Here's Hesed, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands. Here's what I want you to know. Stay with me on this, and then we're going to make some application. This word, Hesed, cannot be translated with one English word. I'm convinced of that. It's way too textured, way too nuanced. And it's used over 260 times. When we did that series, I drew a picture for you, and the picture was simply this, that Hesed involves this affection. There's an emotional affection. There, 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 there's this commitment. There's this commitment for that shows up in action, and where those things all come together, you have Hesed. And, and the word is used to describe the character of God, his steadfast, stay with me, his steadfast and undeserved love and kindness towards us. And what he's saying is goodness loves Hesed, mercy. So he says in Micah, the fruit of goodness is not just reluctant mercy, 
The fruit of goodness is not just living mercifully. You might leave this video talk and might say, I'm going to go try to live mercifully. That, that's not what he's saying. He said it's to love mercy. To love mercy. The loving mercy is to see it as a gift and a privilege to extend undeserved kindness to others. That ain't natural. To love mercy means to see it as a gift and a privilege to be committed to people who can do absolutely nothing for you. Even people who maybe are upset with you. To love mercy is the fruit of goodness that sees it as a privilege to extend mercy and forgiveness to those who hurt us. To love mercy. See, goodness is not just avoiding badness. It is initiating an active countercultural impulse to run into the brokenness of our world in a way that brings beauty to messiness, in a way that brings order to chaos. You see, goodness weeps and works for restoration in our world. I'm struck by what Jesus' half-brother says. Goodness is not just a passive virtue. If anyone knows the, what? The good that they ought to do and doesn't do it, it's sin. You see, goodness is acting justly. Goodness is loving mercy. I've been reading this book, or actually I've read it. I'm going through it the second time. Found it instructive. Uh, the book is simply written by David Platt, Don't Hold Back. But he has a chapter on justice. And he gives some practical ways to act justly and love mercy. Can I read a couple of them to you? Maybe it's just a way for us to, to, to let this lay on us for a second. It says, how in the world would I encourage you in practical ways to do justice and to show kindness? Here's what he says. First way is proclaim the gospel here and among all nations. It is not right that billions of people still haven't heard the good news about Jesus. The second thing he says, if you want to act justly and love mercy, love your spouse, children, and parents in your home and then help people who are being abused or oppressed in their homes. He says, work with compassion and concern for the vulnerable individuals and groups in your community, including orphans, widows, immigrants, individuals and families with special needs and single parents. That's what he's saying. He says, correct oppression, protect people from sexual abuse, prosecute sexual abusers, create systems and structures for appropriate accountability and preventing of sexual abuse. He says this, how about this? What if you steward your advantages that you have for the sake of the disadvantaged? We Americans have advantages that other cultures and nationalities don't have. Asking myself the question, what advantages do I have that I can use for the disadvantaged? He goes on to say, understand the needs and defend the rights of the poor and the oppressed. He says, speak honestly to and kindly about others, even with whom you disagree. Injustice includes slander which ironically happens quite frequently in discussions about justice in the church. How about this? He says, if you want to act justly and love mercy, use any authority you have to serve and build others up. Honor and pray for all people, particularly your government leaders. Subject yourself to the government and pay taxes, he says. 
Do hard, honest work. Promote justice in institutions, laws, and policies that affect others. Work so that people who have been wronged are rightly restored. And then he says this, love your enemies and leave vengeance to God. You see, you want to know what good goodness is? It's not just I didn't kick the dog. It's to weave myself into the fabric of society in a way that will act justly and love mercy and walk humbly with my God. The fruit of goodness is walking humbly with God. The metaphor of walking is one that denotes a couple things. One is, when it's used in Scripture, walking with God denotes there's a relationship. We'll get to that in a second. And it's a relationship that we're walking, we're going somewhere. Now, one preacher said this, that this idea of walking with God has three particular nuanced meanings. One is this, it's the idea of being totally exposed and totally accountable. That every single part of my life is exposed to God and every single part of my life surrendered to God. The second thing he says is being befriended and totally loved by God. That you and I have this opportunity to have intimacy with God. That prayer is an opportunity. There's this two-way communication. Me talking to God, him talking to me. Befriended and loved by the God of the universe. And then it's growing and gradually changing. That I'm walking, I'm walking and I'm growing and gradually changing. You see, he's saying goodness, now listen close, goodness is produced when I humbly walk with God versus arrogantly working to decorate my life for God. Those are different things. We talked about that. You see, when I decorate my life with goodness, it brings out in me this sense of moral superiority that says, look at me, look at what I've done. But when, I, when goodness shows up in my life as a result of humbly walking with God, it's not like, look at me, it's look at him. It's not like more of me, it's more of him. You see, this fruit of goodness is connected to a humble walk in relationship with God. So, so we gotta ask, how do we produce this goodness? How does an individual, how do we as a church, how, how do you, how do I produce the fruit of goodness? I mean, do we just wrap up and say, go be good? I had a guy uh, that I loved, he's with the Lord now, but, but he should say, be, be a good doer. <laughs> is, is that what we do, just go be good doers? No, if we did that, we would simply be decorating our life with some sort of goodness that was not rooted in the goodness of God. The Bible is clear that left to our own devices, we are not good. Let me say that again. The Bible is clear that left to our own devices, we are not good. That even our righteous acts, Isaiah says, are like filthy rags in the presence of a good God. That our goodness compared to the goodness of God, our goodness against the goodness of God is like filthy rags. So then how do we produce this kind of goodness? The fruit of the Spirit, goodness. How does that happen? C.S. Lewis said this, what human beings need is not mere improvement, but redemption. We don't need to become nicer people. We need to become new people. I agree. And I think the secret is found in the passage we've been looking at. He says, walk humbly with, say that word out loud, with your God. There is a power to that. That 
wording there denotes a covenant relationship with God. And the only way you and I, as a people who are not inherently good, can have a relationship with a God who is good is by grace alone, through faith alone. That's the only way. Here's how I would write it down. The fruit of goodness is only produced by rooting my life in the goodness of God found in the gospel. Please write that down. Even if I got got to get my head around that, pause, whatever. The fruit of goodness. Like if you listen to the sermons, I'm going to go be act justly. I'm going to work hard to love. I'm gonna, if you go do that, you might be successful for a minute, but that's not the fruit of goodness. The fruit of goodness is produced. It's not manufactured. It's not a decoration. It is produced, and it's only produced. You remember the picture Adam showed us last week? It's produced. That means it's the fruit of the tree of my life, but it's only produced as my roots go deeper and deeper every day, every week, every month, every year in the goodness of God found in the gospel. That's the only way it's produced. It's produced, look here, when I realize that I am spiritually poor and the goodness of God in Christ Jesus makes me spiritually rich. I've been blessed in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. Nothing I do, I have an identity in Christ that is not achieved, it's received. The fruit of goodness is produced the more my roots go into understanding that I am broken. I am broken, I'm morally broken, I'm spiritually broken, and the goodness of God in Christ makes me whole. The, goodness, the fruit of goodness grows in my life the deeper my roots going and understanding that spiritually you and I are orphans. And it's the goodness of God in Christ that invites us to sit at the family table when we place our faith and trust in Jesus. The fruit of goodness grows the deeper my roots go into understanding that I am a foreigner spiritually a foreigner, an alien, and the goodness of God in Christ makes me a citizen of his kingdom. The fruit of goodness grows when I realize that I am the marginalized with no shalom and the goodness of God stepped into the margins and literally weaved his life into the fabric of our life in order to save us. The fruit of goodness begins to grow the deeper my roots grow to realize that I am helpless and the goodness of God came to help me. That I am a simple mortal and that the everlasting good God has extended his hand in relationship to me. Guys, I want to tell you something. That the deeper and the more those roots go, the more the fruit of goodness will grow. God alone is good. Our goodness will never save us. Our goodness will never save us. Only the goodness of his grace and mercy found at the cross can save us. But goodness, once I've given my heart and life to Christ, rooted my life in the truth of the gospel, goodness is produced in my life. I'm not saved by my good works, but I am saved for the goodness, the fruit of goodness and the fruit of good works that God wants to do in and through my life and your life. Goodness is produced as I root and constantly remind myself of the goodness of God found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's how it's produced. Which begs the question, why in the world is it so vital? Two quick things and we're done. 
Two quick things and we're done. Why in the world is it so vital? Well, the reason it is so vital is found in Galatians chapter 6. He says, let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we'll reap a harvest if we do not give up. Let me stop for a minute. I've shared this before, but either you forgot it or maybe you've never heard it. When my kids were growing up, my daughter, I have two boys and a girl. My daughter's the middle child. And there was a night I had them at home when they were still small enough to be in the footy pajamas, you know, that stage, changing diapers, all that kind of stuff. And I was doing premarital counseling. My wife was away on a trip. And I remember I was trying to get the kids around before this young couple came. Well, the young couple came, and I wasn't done getting the kids totally dressed. And Rachel was left, my daughter. And if you're watching this, sweetheart, sorry. But, but, but I had taught my kids this particular verse in a different version. And the version said, don't get tired of doing good things. Don't get tired. That's the way the version said, don't get tired of doing good things. And I remember that night as that couple was sitting there watching this dad on an island by himself trying to get his daughter to cooperate, to get dressed, to get her pajamas on. And she did, if I said go right, she went left. If I said sit down, she stood up. I mean, we were just all over the place. And finally, in exasperation, I looked at her and I said, sweetheart, I am getting tired of telling you to get over here and get your pajamas on. I was going to, I'm the stern dad. I'm, I'm tired of telling you this. And she turned around on her heel and she looked at me in front of this young couple who I was trying to show how to be a good parent to. And she said, dad, don't get tired of doing good things. <laughs> and I love her for it, right? Uh, she remembered it. But then he says this, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do what? Good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Why is this so important? Let me just give you two real quick reasons. Because the fruit of goodness is a trait of God's good family. It's a trait of the family of God. Goodness is in our DNA. Goodness describes how we interact and relate with each other. When the people of the family of God are marginalized, the family of God is mobilized. Yeah, when, when, when they're victimized, we show up, we weave ourselves into the fabric. We have this wonderful couple here that begin ministry to the widows in our church. I love them for it. Phil and Linda, doing such a wonderful job. We just want to weave ourselves into the fabric of ladies who've lost their husbands and need help around the house. Now, we have a wonderful group led by Pastor Adam here that simply is putting our arms around orphans and through foster care and adoption. We have all kinds of things in play that run into those who are struggling with sickness, those who are struggling, right? That's what we do. And, and I, can I just tell you something? There's so much more we could do when the body of Christ is mobilized, the whole body of Christ. We spur each other on, Hebrews 10 says, to goodness, to the fruit of goodness. And how do we do that? By reminding each other how good our God is, how amazing his grace is found in the gospel. You see, it's a family trait. But it's not just a family trait. Look what Peter says. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles, this is not our permanent home, to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. And then he says what? Live such good lives among the pagans, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. 
Why in the world is this so important? You ought to write this down because it's the fruit of goodness that gives the world a taste of the goodness of God. It's Peter's evangelism strategy. Live such good lives among people who are not following Jesus, who are not acknowledging God, that's pagan, that even though they accuse you, they may see the fruit of your good lives and be pointed to the God who's good and the truth of the gospel. Can I just say this, and then, then I'm going to pray with you be done. We are tempted to fight fire with fire. We're tempted to make a point, and then, and, and, and then we don't make a difference. But Paul in the book of Romans says, don't repay evil for evil. Don't fire, fire with fire. Be careful to do what's right in the eyes of everyone. It's a, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace. Do not take revenge. What about those who... Dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it's written, it's mine, God says to repay. I'll repay. I'll take care of that. On the contrary, fruit of goodness. If your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. That's not vanilla goodness. In doing this, you'll heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil. Say that last part with me. But overcome evil with good. You see, here's the deal. Some of you have never tasted the fruit of God's goodness found in the gospel. Why not right now? Just stop this and just stop this, 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 this message and I want you to spend time alone with God. Say, God, I believe you love me. I believe Jesus died for me. You died for all the not so good things in my life, all the sin, all... And I want to repent and I want to embrace and drink and taste of the goodness of God found in the gospel. And I am asking today, trusting today, confessing today, Jesus as my Savior and as my Lord. Why don't you do that? Taste of the goodness of God found in salvation, found in the truth of the gospel. For, for others of you, you've tasted of the goodness of God, but if we're honest... You'd say, I'm a good Christian, and what you mean by that is I don't drink, smoke, chew, go with girls who do, all that kind of stuff. I don't even know what, what, what you mean by that. But you define it by all the things you don't do. And God comes into our moment, and he says, I have shown you at the cross, I've shown you in the gospel what is good. Oh, man. What the Lord requires... I want you to produce the fruit of goodness that is rooted in the goodness of God found in the gospel. A fruit that weaves itself into the fabric of our society for the marginalized, the vulnerable, and the oppressed. A fruit that runs in to the lives of those who are needy, providing resources, relationship, remedy when we can. And I want this fruit to be something that's produced as you walk humbly with your God. And you'll know you're producing this fruit when he's the one who gets the glory. He's the one who gets the attention when the lights are bright on him, not me. God, I pray that you'd produce this fruit in us, the fruit of goodness, that our world might see that you are a good and gracious God. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I love you guys. And for some of you, you can't be here in person. Some of you live in a different state. Thank you for letting us be part of your life. Write us. Let us know how we can, how we can pray for you. Email us. We want to be praying with and for you. We look forward to seeing you again next week. God bless you.